How about that this morning? Just kind of lighting us up. The time is now, and uh, we are the how, and will we start? And this is all about just being a conduit um, for me of just lighting you up and green lighting you and giving you permission to be all that God has called you to be, to start that spark in your heart and for you to hear that high call that he has not just on my life because I chose to go into full-time ministry, but on all our lives because we're all everyday missionaries out there in the world. And being greenlit is simply empowering people, everyday people, to be involved in everyday ministry, no matter whether you're a teacher, whether you're an entrepreneur, a businessman, selling insurance, selling homes, uh, working at Amway, whatever your calling is, God wants to see you in that sphere of influence being greenlit to do ministry for him. Will we start? Last week, we talked about a verse in Ephesians 1. It's somewhat the cornerstone of God's dream for the church. And it's where Paul said to the church in Ephesus, God placed all things under his Christ's feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. Not just his body, but his bride, which becomes the fullness of him to the world that fills everything in every way. That's everyone, everywhere, filling everything in every way. And I love every way because we typically think the one way that God moves is at church. Like I'm going to church. And we think the building is the church. And God's like, man, I have such a huge dream for the church. Remember I was at a leadership conference. One person called it a, a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal. That's a BHAG. You have that in your life that kind of pulls you forward, that big, hairy, audacious goal. God's for the church is that we would be the fullness of him who fills every sphere in every way, every nook and cranny with the gospel and to be greenlit with that gospel, all of us here. Which brings me to what I want to talk about today, which is church planting. You'll see it on our, our word wall coming in that it's one of our values, church multiplication. But church planting, how many of you know what church planting is when I say that? Yeah. And there's maybe another half of you that are just like, I've kind of heard that term, but I'm not really sure what you're talking about. The, the fact of the matter is, growing up when I went to college and uh, studied to be in ministry and went to a church, I had no idea about church planting. And even as I was in ministry as a, a youth pastor, I, I didn't understand what church planting was. I knew about missions and planting the church in you know, people groups that hadn't heard the gospel before, but I, I never really thought of myself as an everyday missionary, and I never really thought of the church planting within the states because there was a need for a fresh expression of Christ in communities that hadn't necessarily seen another way. He wants to fill everything in every way. And so there's different ways of doing church to reach all different kinds of people. You need all different kinds of churches. And it wasn't until about, I think six years into ministry that my buddy, Mark Palmer, planted a church in Columbus, Ohio. And I remember going and visit him and seeing these people gathered in his living room as he started this new work that was just a seed that was beginning to grow. And it was at that time that I started reading blogs on church planting, and then I had a mutual friend of Phil Struckmeyer who had planted the church here in Lowell nine months prior, and they were looking for a second person to come on staff. Church planting is what brought me to Lowell. 
Like I wouldn't have come here just to be on staff at any church. I didn't wanna just go to another traditional church. I wanted to be a part of a church that had a heart for church planting and that would raise people up and send them out. And in church planting, we call it your church is to be known not for its seeding capacity, but its sending capacity. Are we sending people out on mission into ministry? That's what I wanted to be a part of. I remember getting online once I heard about this church that was looking for somebody to come on at the time. It was about 150 to 180 people. It was nine months old in a small community outside of Grand Rapids and I checked out the website. I remember reading online their vision was to see a planting of three churches in five years and 10 churches in 10 years. You remember that, Cheryl? Yes. And we would hear about that. I remember looking online and seeing like, yeah, you're gonna start three churches in five years and 10 and 10. Yeah, right, after nine months. This is the dream that they were chasing. And I wanted to be a part of something impossible. I wanted something that was like, we can't do that without God. So I knew this was, kinda had the embers of what I was looking for. And then I was especially drawn to this audacious mission that I read on the website to engage in the movement of Christianity through becoming a band of Christ followers, that was Phil's way of talking about the church, a band of Christ followers that reproduces other bands of Christ followers by reaching for un- and de-church lives in the outlying metro communities throughout West Michigan and beyond. Right from beginning, this was the heartbeat of the church. It was really drawn to the un- and de-church. As we, I got here, I realized that they called them undies. And so we were going after undies, not just play people from other churches. We didn't want the church to grow just by taking from other guppies from other fish tanks because if the church is declining in our community but it's growing here, that's not a win. We want new people and fresh people. And the people that come here, maybe they move here or come from another church, you feel God's call in your life. We want it to be the mission that was Jesus' mission to seek and to save those who are lost not to steal and take away from other churches and proselytization is what that is. And remember, I was like, I wanna be a part of that and whatever it takes to reach people with the gospel, that the fullness of Christ would fill everything in every way, in every community, in every way. Be a part of something bigger than I am. Anybody have that desire? I wanna be a part of something bigger than I am. I wanna give to something bigger than I am. I want my life to fold into a kingdom dream that's bigger than me. And it might be hard for you to get your head around that at 10.30 in the morning here at the end of August in 2020, but we're chasing something really big and we need God to do it. And so this was the beginning, the impetus of, of getting me and my wife and my three little girls, five and three and one at the time, to come to this place, Lowell, Michigan. And we've been here now almost 16 years, exactly. I remember connecting with Phil. He met us in Toledo, Ohio, and began sharing the vision. We were catching it. And uh, then we left our comfortable life that we had down there and moved toward this adventurous unknown of church planting. I remember as he was sharing different documents with us, there was this core verse that was plastered over every document that he gave us. It was Acts 1.8. And in Acts 1.8, it's a verse of commissioning. It says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Jesus is saying this as his last will and testament to the apostles at the time and to the 120 people that were gonna be up in the upper room when the Holy Spirit came and lit them ablaze for his glory. He's like, I want you to be witnesses 
and advocates for me in Jerusalem. And then I want you to spread out to Judea and Samaria and then even to the ends of the earth all the way on another continent, even in Lowell, Michigan. That was his dream before he ascended. But if you keep on reading in the book of Acts, and it's not easy to discern unless you know the time frames of when things are happening, you would think that it took months for the church to expand out of Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria into the ends of the earth. In fact, you can read through Acts in about 45 minutes, but it didn't take 45 minutes in order for the church to do what Jesus dreamed that the church would do, which was expand and multiply and reproduce. Actually, the church stayed in Jerusalem for eight years and didn't leave. It was for the Jews in Jerusalem. And Peter and John, the disciples, were really gung-ho about the preaching the gospel, but they didn't want to leave the comfort and the confines of the community that they grew up in. And it's so easy for a church to start and then to become sort of a navel-gazing church and to become inward and not have their sights set on the world and to reproduce. And that's what happened for eight whole years. They didn't go to Samaria. They didn't go to Judea, let alone the ends of the earth. They weren't even started until this guy, Paul, came around. And he shook things up a little bit. And slowly the church moved beyond Jerusalem uh, up to age, uh, you know, age eight after uh, the church was about eight years old and it, through the next three years, it spread out to Judea and Samaria and then Paul fin- finally in Acts 11 took it to Antioch and it was 14 years later before the church actually spread out of Antioch and Paul and uh, Barnabas were sent out by the church. We hear a lot about the Acts 2 church and trying to be like the Acts 2 church, but really we want to act more like the Acts 13 church, which is less building a settlement and more joining a movement. The Acts 2 church is an amazing place. It was amazing what God did there. They added to the church daily, but it wasn't about adding people to the church in one location. God wanted to expand the church in many locations, and it took 14 years after Pentecost and the ascension of Christ for the church to do what she was born to do, which was to go to the ends of the earth. In Acts 13, there's an account of this sending that happened. It says, now in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers there, Barnabas, Simeon of Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, even Jeff Mannion, the next one, he was in there, you know him. Uh, He'd been brought up with Herod the Tatriarch and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, whose name would change to Paul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. 14 years later, the dream of God started to crystallize, started to be realized in the church. And they looked for their best and their brightest, the cream of the crop, and they put their hands on them and said, we'd love to keep you in Antioch, but we need to send you out to multiply the church. And they laid their hands on them and they anointed these anointed people and they commissioned these commissioned people and they sent them off, which is difficult to do. When you're a church and you have great people that start to assemble, it's easy to be like, I wanna keep them. 
for myself. And God's like, no, I want you to always green light people that if they're feeling the stirrings of the spirit to go do something big for me, that you'll commission them and you won't be so selfish to keep them for yourself, but you'll send them out and say, if God's called you to go, we wanna be your backers. We wanna be behind you. We wanna cheerlead that effort. And we've had a lot of good people leave our church for the sake of spreading the gospel to places where it wasn't known. And so Paul began to follow this impulse to raise up bands of Christ followers all across the known world at the time. And this passion for planting churches was put into words in his letter to the church of Rome where he said in chapter 15, it's always been my ambition or my burning passion to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. It's easy to go to a place where someone's already put in the blood, sweat, and tears, and a foundation's been laid, and you go, and it's established firmly, and it's comfortable, but God is always calling people. I want to go to a place where this expression of the church isn't saturating the community, where it's not alive, where it's dying, and I want to get there, and I want my spark of a life to start a forest fire of passion for the gospel, not where it's known, but where it's unknown, not where there's already a foundation. I want to go where no foundation's been laid. I, I want to be a trailblazer. And that's what grabbed my heart 16 years ago. As he went into the great unknown, laying that foundation for new churches to start, we see the difference between an Acts 2 mentality and an Acts 13 mentality, even in a second letter to the Corinthian church, where he says this in chapter 11, I've been constantly on the move. That's what it, you have to do to be a part of a movement. You're on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, my fellow Jews in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, from the woods to the hoods, right? In danger at the sea, in danger from false believers or false brothers. What is the word that you see there over and over again? Let me try that again. What's that word that you see over and over again? Danger. Danger. I just wanna sort of stop there because I think culturally, We're in a society where safety and security are worshiped. And we know that every day walking out your front door, there's risk involved. There always has been. And particularly when you're in a world where if it's safe, it must be of God. And if it's dangerous, we're gonna wait on the Lord until he opens doors. Did you know God will open a door right into something dangerous? It's not like he closes doors to keep us all safe and sound. God's calling people to not just move into things that are out of their comfort zone, but sometimes even dangerous places to do things for his glory. And that might be like surprising for us in America, but around the world where it's not necessarily looked upon highly to be like out there pushing the gospel and telling people about the good news of Christ. Everywhere else in the world where it's underground, they know when they sign up and convert to Christianity, they're in hot water and it's dangerous business. And so Paul said, I'm going out and I'm going into danger But then he goes into verse 27 and says, I've labored and I've toiled and often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And beside everything else, all these other things in the aforementioned verses, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. I love this. The plurality of Paul's thinking wasn't just that I'm, I'm thinking about one church in one place 
that he had this audacious mission to be a pastor, an apostle to many churches. And on his heart, he was feeling the daily pressure of his concern for all the churches. I love it, it moves from you know, something that's dangerous, where danger is a part of the gospel, then labor is a part of the gospel, and hunger is a part of the gospel, and then you go down and pressure is a part of the gospel. Danger, is that a part of your life? Labor and sacrifice, hunger, like that passion, and then pressure, feeling the weight of the gospel's call on our life. This is all something that Paul just absorbed. In fact, I think it's 1 Corinthians like 15, where he's talking about the resurrection. He said, if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, why do I endanger myself every hour? I mean that, brothers, as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus. He's like, because Christ raised from the dead, I endanger myself every hour. I put myself in harm's way for the sake of the gospel so that it could spread. And if Christ didn't raise from the dead, he goes on to say, if I fought off wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. He said, forget it. Nothing means anything if Christ didn't raise. But if he did raise from the dead, I gotta be about the business. I'm endangering myself and fighting off wild beasts in Ephesus. You know what, who they were? People. He said, I'm going out there to spread the word and endanger myself. Acts 2 models a healthy concern for the local church. Acts 13 models a healthy concern for all the churches. That was unique to Paul's heart for multiplication, not to just multiply churches, but multiply disciples. I don't know if you knew this, but Paul had 20 church plants, give or take a couple. And they were in Ephesus, in Cyprus, the island of Malta, Philippi, Rome, Thessalonica, Athens, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Colossae, Corinth, Galatia, Berea, Antioch, Iconium, and Crete. He did an awful lot in a short amount of time because he was always out there on the move for the gospel, joining the movement of the kingdom. I remember when I was younger in the back of my Bible, there were all these maps. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? If you have one of those big Bibles, yeah. And you might have one today. This one doesn't have any maps, but they were very colorful. And uh, when I was bored in the service, I'd just look at these maps of the Middle East, of Israel and, and Syria and Galatia and Macedonia and all these places. And, and they were showing the missionary journeys of Paul. But really what these were, were Paul's church planting journeys where he started from Antioch in the first journey, and there's all kinds of journeys. The first church planting journey was this one, where he left Antioch here, and you can see he goes up and sails over, um, and then goes up and around the red, and then circles back down and around. We got Derby and Lister and Iconium in there, and then he comes back down and around, gets back to Antioch. That's the missionary journey of Paul, his first one that goes from Acts 13 to Acts 14. Well, then in Acts 15, the second missionary journey, he goes all the way from Jerusalem up through Damascus and Antioch, circles around, gets up into Asia Minor, gets all the way around here, sails back over, and then comes down, goes to Jerusalem, back up to Damascus, back to Antioch. That's all the way from Acts 15 to Acts 18. 
Well, then he goes on another church expedition to check out, you know, the old churches that he planted and start new churches, starts again in Antioch. It's almost like that's his mission outpost. That's the church that sent him. So he's always coming back to let them know what God was doing. And all the way from Acts 19 to Acts 21, he moves through Asia, comes around through Achaia, goes back around, and then sails back down to Jerusalem. Powerful things. And then the fourth journey, it was like a one-way ticket because he was going to Rome and that's where he'd be on house arrest for two years and then was beheaded with Peter. But he, he went from Jerusalem out and around all the way up through Italy and then found himself in Rome. That was his last church planting expedition. And that's where he was laid to rest and gave his life for the gospel after all these years. And we can look at that and we were like, man, I'm glad he did that. But he wasn't the last one to do that. He's the one that inspired so many others to take the gospel to new places. Not just Jerusalem, but he's the one that got it all the way up to Antioch, 211 miles north. Not that far north, but he was the one after 13 years to get it up to Antioch and to send it out from there. We as a church here at Impact want to be a sending church and a planting church and a multiplying church. Because Impact's been on a missionary journey as well, our church planning journey for the last 17 years, both here in the States and then in Africa, starting in about 2011. We call it the Greenhouse Network. If you haven't heard about it before, some maybe have been around here just for a couple months or a couple years and you haven't heard about this, but every month I go with other planters and we gather together and we talk about church planting. Where are we planting next? How are the plants going? And uh, we're on Zoom calls all the time and planting new churches. And I wanted to show you where we've planted in the last 17 years. You can see up in Michigan, there's several clustered up all around Lowell and, and Belding and Portland and, and Ionia. And we've planted around there and over in Lansing. But we started planting in, down in West Virginia uh, four or five years ago. And then it spread. And there's all these churches that are all the way down now to Georgia and uh, Savannah, Georgia, I think is the furthest south we are over to Nashville and then planted even one this last year over in Chicagoland. So God's been continuing to do amazing things over the last 17 years and this is just in the States. So when we read Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We hear it this way. We'll be witnesses in Lowell and in Portland and Lansing to the ends of the earth where it goes local to regional to national to international. That's the vision we have for our church. Even as we were building this building, it, it, it was easy to get consumed with the local church, the local church. But while we were doing that, we were on the hunt, staying on the scent of church planting, both giving to it and giving our time and energy to that as a church. If you read Impact's Heartbeat document online, you'll see this spirit pulsating throughout our purpose but you see it in our strategy, which is creating churches, plural, where people can belong to a loving community, become followers of Jesus, and believe in his word. We want that to happen here in Lowell, but we want to see churches experience that vivacious spirit all over the earth to wrap the map with his love. Just by way of an update, I thought I would let you know in the last year, in 2019, 2020, we planted five churches 
And these are the five churches we planted, one in Westwood Church in Ashland, Kentucky. Uh, actually, a, a couple who was just going to church over in Ionia at the well, one of our churches, was sitting there just like you. And several years back, they got involved heavily in the ministry at the well, and all of a sudden the well saw in them this like call of ministry on their life, and they sent them out, two of their best leaders, and they moved all the way with their family down to Kentucky. Pursue Ministries in Atlanta, Georgia with Matt and Stephanie Landis. Mercy Unleashed in Fishers, Indiana. Um, Bernie Haddad there, Refuge Mission, Refuge Mission Community Church in Greenville. There's house churches being started over there by Pete and Claire. And then a live church, um, Nitrogen Network in Chicago, Illinois. And that is our very own Phil Struckmeyer who started this church. And then 17 years later, got his doctorate, led our whole denomination uh, in church planning all over the United States of America. Then a few years back, felt called back to local church ministry. And so he has started last year over in Chicago because we have hardly any churches that are Wesleyan over in Chicago. And he wants to start what he started here at Impact, Nitrogen Network, kind of like we have Greenhouse Network. We're planting a network, not just a church over there. Anybody know Phil Struckmeyer and Andrew Struckmeyer? Yeah, can we give it up for them? Actually, it was Andrea's birthday yesterday. So if you want to get on Facebook, let's just bombard her with like, hey, it's a day late, but you came up in church. Thanks for leaving when you had a family all established and coming in here to Lowell and turning over new ground for the kingdom. That'd be awesome to share that with her a uh, day after her birthday. And I don't know how old she is, but you can ask her that. <laughs> if you dare. 25. She's 25. That's all right. One exciting thing in Africa, we planted, I think we're up to nine churches in Swaziland where we help little kids, orphans, and widows over there in our Mudabu Guinea care point. We planted a church at that care point, but in Nisogo, um, Swaziland, in, in the bush area, we've been planting churches at every one of these care points that feed kids every day. And the plants that we've launched in the global greenhouse has gone beyond Swaziland and they've gone over the mountains. And this last year we planted three in South Africa. Uh, Pastor Beggy um, Thabiso actually left our care point and was sent out to go to South Africa. And then uh, Dumsani, I uh, can't even, you know, I don't know the language of how these are all pronounced, but it's pretty awesome how God has actually stretched it beyond Swaziland, which is just a little, little, little tiny, Aswatini, little tiny country. And it's now spreading out to South Africa. Plants we have launching this upcoming year are the table in Apex, North Carolina, um, down where you're getting into North Carolina, um, Tar Heels country and Duke territory. We're trying to like infiltrate that, turn them into Ohio State fans. Um, are you still with me? Yeah, and that's my brother and my sister-in-law who are starting that church. They've been, been in ministry for 20 years and God's called them out of a church that they were in to start a church in their home. And I uh, cannot wait to see what God does with them. Now serving in Barbersville, two planners decided to start a coffee shop. And in that coffee shop, they're actually starting a church in West Virginia. The Nashville Initiative just came on the scene this last year. We're actually looking for a planner, a couple of them. But we have this church that, that was shut down because it just, you know, was decimated over the years. And it's right across um, in uh, 
Tampa from the massive stadium. It's prime land, a prime place for a church. We just need a planter to get to that place that has a vision for Nashville. And then Sumter Chapel in Americus, Georgia with a new planter, Drew Anderson. That's coming up this next year. So I want you to know, while everything is shrinking back and it seems like everything's like recoiling right now, there are certain things that we're doing to advance in ways that I think in the last year are more than any other time since I've been a part of this in 17 years. There's more going on in missions and in church planning. Like God is just poised to do massive things and we're pressing forward, being constantly on the move like Paul and I wanted to let you know that. And if you're new to our church or have just come in the last year, you need to understand that these are our children, these are our grandchildren, these are our great-grandchildren. Checking out that map, I'm like, this, these are our grandbabies and our great-grandbabies. And if, and if you love us, you gotta love them. It would, it'd be like having your wife pass away and you're dating someone else and you're like, but if you're gonna be in a relationship with me, you gotta love my kids and you gotta love their kids. You can't just love me. They come with me, it's a package deal. These plants come with us and to love us is to love them and join in this ambition in 2 Corinthians beside everything else you got going on, we join in and face the daily pressure of our concern for all the churches, not just in Lowell, but all the churches. We have a burning passion for them and a desire to stay concerned and pressurized and to endanger ourselves for them. Danger, labor, hunger, and pressure. Anybody that wants to do anything in this world, not just starting churches, although it takes a lot of strength and resilience, but if you wanna start anything as an entrepreneur in this world, you've gotta be able to eat that for lunch on Monday morning. Our vision for Greenhouse after we planted 10 churches in 10 years, which we did accomplish, unbelievably, was to plant 25 churches by the year 2025. And as I was putting things together a, a couple months ago for our dream document to, you know, every year I'm accountable to our, our leadership team, our LAT, our elders around here to say, what have you done? Did you accomplish the goals you set out to do? And so I brought this to them. I was amazed to find out going to this year, Impact will have planted 33 churches in the last 17 years. So we already have surpassed what our dream was. We gotta have another dream. I don't know if it's 50 churches by the year 2025, but it's starting, when churches start planting churches that plant churches, it starts to grow exponentially, not just incrementally. Because it's not just growth by addition, it's growth through multiplication. And I want you to know that that's what you're a part of. In fact, this last year, our church was selected as one of the Outreach Magazine's top 100 multiplying or planting churches out of 33,000 churches in America. We were in this magazine and we were the 20th top reproducing church out of 33,000 churches in America. And the reason I say that is not like to pat my back, but to tell you who you are. I don't think you know who you are, how distinctive you are, how exceptional you have been and, and we have been as a church and I wanted to let you know, this is what you're doing even if you don't know this is what you're doing. And the more you can kind of have that daily pressure and concern for the churches and realize that's our mission. That's not just Jason's mission to be accountable and to do a once a month thing with the Greenhouse Network. I'm praying for that. Did you know when you give to this church, 10% of everything you give goes to the Greenhouse Network? 
It has 17 years ago, starting with like 20 people, they started giving and hived off 10% to tithe to church planning on top of missions. You should be concerned about this because this is your money that we're taking to go plant seeds of the gospel. And this is because of you. Our vision of planting churches just, and to give extravagantly to that mission is just something that's born fruit that I'm so proud of. And it serves as really a model for a lot of networks around the country as Phil has taken it out and reproduced that network mentality. Who could have ever dreamed that something like that could happen and have its humble beginning here in the little quaint town of Lowell? I just wanna celebrate how far we've come. And I can really say with confidence, I think the best is yet to come as far as multiplication. If you're interested in the Greenhouse Network, just checking it out, if you feel even a stir in your heart, maybe I could be a part of planting a church or be on a team to plant a church, you can check this out and kind of do a little bit more of a deep dive into greenhouseplantingnetwork.com. It's, to me, it fits into the same thing because when you're, when you're building a church like this that's somewhat of a mission outpost um, or a beachhead for the kingdom here so that it can be HQ for a lot of these churches that we're concerned about. Um, this last year, we've been putting on a push to pay off our debt. And then last October, um, we told you that we're so close out of $9 million, we only had $350,000 to go, which seemed like a ton to me. And I wanted to give you an update that since the match point campaign of 350,000 that we needed last October, that this last week we paid off our debt entirely on our building. It's all over. And it kind of caught me by surprise because I, I knew a couple months ago we were kind of getting closer and I was like, I need a checkpoint in the next month. I'd like to like put on a final push. And this weekend, I was planning on a final push to get the extra 10 or 20 or $30,000. So when they came back and on Thursday, they told me yeah, all the stuff, the expenses we still have, we are paid off and we've gone over the finish line. And I just want you to know, if you're here and you're just coming, you lucked out. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Actually, it was, it was quite an unbelievable miracle that we're a part of. And for the ones that have been here and there's blood on the floor in your house because you bled out for this mission, I just wanna take a second to say thank you on behalf of Jesus Christ, the head of the church, for what you've done and how you've given your lives and uh, not just your finances, but your very heart um, to what God did here in the last four years. It's impressive and um, it's humbling to be um, I don't know, in this position to be able to be so generous to our community here in Lowell and beyond and generous with all that God has given us even more so now that we don't have some debt hanging over us. It's been kind of funny over the last uh, five months, people have been driving by this church and I've, I've had actually two people come to me and in different ways say to me, man, I, every time I drive by that church, my heart is filled with such pain. You guys just gotta be dying over there. Like what an absolute horrific nightmare that you build a church, you go into debt, and then all of a sudden everything falls apart. You close the church down and you know, you're probably you know, struggling to survive. And it's so awesome to be able to look at people and say, God knew what was coming. And you can look at it like, sometimes I walk into the building and I think about God's sovereignty and I'm like, was this a cruel joke? 
We get done just building this thing for massive amounts of people and you just go and you chop it down and then shut us down and, and the church is at 40% or 30% of where it usually is. What is this cruel, sovereign game you played? And then there are other days I walk in and I'm like, thank you for your sovereignty. You knew that we would not be able to be yoked and strapped with $3 million of debt on top of everything else. You knew to go before us and to fight on our behalf so that we didn't have to have the burden of debt. So just, I thank God for his sovereignty in that way. Not like, God, what were you doing? But God, you knew exactly what you were doing. We would have never known how important it was to not have debt until right now. So I wanna say thank you. And I want you to continue. If you've been giving, you can just stop your giving. Chas will be in contact with you. Or maybe it's like, man, I want to start giving. I haven't been giving at all to this church. I want to give 10%. I want to be a part of a concern for the churches that reaches out so that we can spread the gospel and wrap the map with the love of Jesus Christ. I wanted to end with a quote that Phil Struckmeyer, the czar of church planting, I think. He's been around the world and back again. He's like a modern day Paul. He's just been on journeys to so many places all over the world. Just, and he, he's got his doctorate in just church multiplication. He, he shared with us, I remember early on as church planners when there was only four of us, he said uh, this quote by Hans Kuhn. He said, a church which pitches its tents without constantly, constantly looking out for new horizons, which does not continually strike camp is being untrue to its calling. We must play down our longing for certainty, accept what is risky, and live by improvisation and experiment. I just, I love that. We wanna just be kind of striking camp all the time and saying, where is God calling us? What is he calling us to do? I just feel just a special prompting right now. I don't know who's here. I don't know where God has you at this point, but like, I just wonder if there aren't people here, they don't care how old you are, that you just feel, or maybe you're online and you're watching and you just feel like God has made me for more. One thing that's been on my heart, and I don't know entirely what it looks like, but I'm seeing it happen more and more as conventional churches like this that we see with you know, pews and pulpits and pastors, it's changing. There's, there's something what's called more the house church model or a micro church model instead of the macro church model. There's people that are doing marketplace ministry and, and they're saying, God, I, I can't leave what I'm doing. They're more like Luke who stays a surgeon but becomes a disciple, right? And Barnabas who owns lots of property was a venture capitalist and also became a missionary for God in church planning. There are people that keep doing what they're doing but they say, I wanna also be a pastor in marketplace ministry. I don't wanna go into formal ministry, but I wanna start a church at my business or at a coffee shop or at a Bible study. I want new dreams and your imagination to stir. Could God be calling you to do something brave for the remainder of your life to leverage your heart and your energy and your gifts and your finances to say, God, I wanna give my life with my gifts and talents. I could never be Jason, I don't wanna to go to seminary, but I wanna do something on your behalf. You called everyday, ordinary, ignorant people in the beginning and uh, I think he's still doing it. 
And I think sometimes we, we spend so much tr time trying to get people through schools and jumping through ho hoops and all these hoops we've created. When you read Acts, it's just people called, lit ablaze by God. They catch like a, you know, just a, a glimpse of the vision of the God and they're just like, here am I, send me. And then I just want you to know and give your heart permission to lurch toward that kind of church dream you have in your mind. And if you're interested in that, I, I would love to talk to you about what God's stirring up inside of you. If you wanna strike camp and play down the longing for certainty and to take risks and improvise, yeah, that, that would be awesome. This is our mission outpost here at the church. I'm so glad it's paid off because we don't wanna get bogged down and becoming so localized that our eyes become blinded to what God wants to do in the world, that we've been called to the ends of the earth. And I wanted to just wake you up if you didn't know that. And if you already knew that, I wanted to remind this church, this is our mission. This has been in the DNA since the beginning of our church and it will continue to be. If you love us, you gotta love our babies. Gotta love our babies. Thank you God for the miracle of what has happened in the last four years where we head into this building campaign with $564,000 of debt on our old building and somehow at the end of all this, we come out debt-free. We just know it's you, God, you who have gone before us and we give you all the glory and all the credit for what's been done. We know you didn't do that for no reason. I think you did that so that we would be freed up from what would encumber us and hold us down and hold us back from the mission you have us on. God, so keep our hearts ablaze and astir with just that and alive with that impulse of multiplica multiplication, not only of disciples, but of churches. God, we thank you for all that you're doing on all that you want to do if you can use anything, you can use us, Lord. So God, please, we put ourselves at your disposal as you call everyone to go everywhere to feel everything in every way. May you green light us with the good news of the gospel as we go into their mission field this week, God. Keep our eyes open for the people that need to meet the church, not just go to church, and help us to be your church that you dreamed of. We pray all this in your son's name, amen. Amen. Can you give it up for God and all that he's done? It's so awesome. You guys have a great day. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us online.